Keys Hacker. Talk about a fried egg. I lasted about five minutes out there. I said, to heck with this. I'll do this in the morning. And I don't have any inside information. The lady that did it, she got in there. I mean, she made it happen. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. And I do enjoy drinking cold beer at ballparks. So if that makes me a baseball fan, then I'm a diehard baseball fan. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Casey Dobson. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. Appreciate you joining us on this Thursday as they are doing workouts. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the cone drill, the vertical jump, the 40-yard dash. It is all going on up in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, look, I'm not going to lie. I watched about three hours of it earlier today, and we'll probably watch three hours of it again tomorrow. They got me hook, line, and sinker every year with this thing. Although I found myself reminiscing as I was watching the festivities up there at Lucas Oil Field today, going back to the 12th day of September, which was opening day in the NFL. Remember that? The Jaguars were on that field Calvin Ridley had over 100 yards receiving. Zay Jones had a miraculous touchdown grab on that field. The Jaguars won the game. And all the promise and hope that opening day's victory in Indianapolis brought this team got crushed and squandered later on in the year. But basically with the combine, you start the cycle all over again. The combine leads right into free agency free agency elite into the draft, and then at the draft, you're already back for off-season workouts, and OTAs will commence about three weeks after. So we're glad you're with us. We are absolutely jam-packed tonight. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, my buddy Frank Frangie. You hear him every afternoon on the Frangie Show, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He is up in Indianapolis, and he will join us from the Combine in less then 20 minutes. Also, Eric Edholm, also at the Combine, NFL.com. Eric will stop by the program coming up here in about 40 minutes or so. A lot of football. We'll mix in a little NBA as well later on in the program. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night. And Casey Dobson, let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. We have spent so much time in the last 53 days since the season ended, and really well before then, talking about the contract extension for Josh Allen. It's coming. They're going to get it done, or else they're going to franchise him, and they'll get it done at a later point. But rest assured, Josh Allen will receive a second contract here in Jacksonville, which will put the end to a pretty remarkable streak, quite frankly. First round picks of the Jacksonville Jaguars simply do not get second contracts. They don't. It does not happen. Go back through the memory banks. Quick trivia question for those of you listening. Off the top of your head, when Josh Allen gets a second contract here in Jacksonville, who was the last first rounder that did that? The last first rounder 
that got a second contract before Josh Allen. The think, name blows my mind. You thinking I, about it? I still it? can't believe that. Yeah, I know. you. I asked you earlier, yeah. and I had to give you some can't hints. Believe it. All right, so let's go down the uh, ranks here. 2018, Taven Bryan. Of course not. 2017, Leonard Fournette. Nope. 2016, Jalen Ramsey. He would have if he didn't want out of here, but he did not. 2015, Dante Fowler. He probably should have, but he did not. And then you stop at 2014, Blake Bortles. Remember, he signed that extension after his rookie deal, played one more year here in Jacksonville, and was shown the door. Prior to Blake Bortles, Luke Jokel, 2013, not a second contract. Justin Blackman, 2012, of course not. And Blaine Gabbert in 2011, no. And if you go one year ahead of Josh Allen to the 2020 draft, C.J. Henderson's long gone, and Caleb on Chason is about to be gone. So think about what we just talked about. From 2011 to 2020, a decade of Jaguar football, Blake Bortles signed a second contract of which he only saw one year, and Josh Allen is about to get a second contract. And that's it. Ten years, ten drafts, Josh Allen will be the second first-round pick in that decade to get a second contract. That is pathetic, and that goes to show you why Jacksonville was where they were until recently. Now, Josh Allen is probably going to start a new trend of second contracts. Josh Allen's getting one in 2019, that first-round pick. Let's go to the first-round picks of 2021. We're going to skip 2020. 2021, who became the general manager? Trent Baalke. Is Travis Etienne going to get a second-round pick or a second contract? Yeah. Is Trevor Lawrence? Of course. Is Trayvon Walker going to get one? Yep. And is Anton Harrison going to get one? You betcha. And you can say, Hacker, Trayvon Walker and Trevor Lawrence were number one picks in the draft. All right, that's fair. But Leonard Fournette, Jalen Ramsey were top five. Dante Fowler was top five, right? That didn't necessarily matter. Luke Jokel was number two. He didn't get a second contract. So when you want to rip Trent Baalke, and look, I don't blame some of you for ripping him. I don't think he's done a great job in the draft. I think he's done a better job in free agency, quite frankly. But Trent Baalke inherited a team that had one first-round pick from 2011 to 2019 that signed a second contract. He inherited a team that in 2020 completely wasted two first-round picks on C.J. Henderson and Caleb on Chason. Josh Allen was the only good draft pick the Jaguars made in a decade in round one. Again, pathetic. Thank you, Dave Caldwell, who just stole money here in Jacksonville. But since Balky arrived, your first-round picks, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Trayvon Walker, Anton Harrison, all four of those guys should get second contracts here in Jacksonville. So it's an amazing thing, Josh Allen getting 
a second contract, or he will. It's only a matter of time. But good gracious, again, going through those names, it just blew me away. Again, Taven Bryan, Leonard Fournette, Jalen Ramsey, Dante Fowler, Luke Jokel, Justin Blackman, and Blaine Gabbert, none of whom saw more than four years in a Jaguar uniform. That's got to be a mark unto itself in the National Football League. I mean, I wouldn't have the time or the patience to look that up, but can there be another team that went a decade that only had two of their first-round picks receive second contracts? I doubt it. You'd have to look at the worst teams, Cleveland, teams of that sort, but I can't even imagine they had as bad a drafts as Jacksonville had from 2011 to 2020. So it will be a little bit of a changing of a guard, right? When Josh Allen does get his second contract, and there's a lot of Jaguars that are going to get second contracts. I mentioned the other first rounders. Well, look, Tyson Campbell is going to get a second contract. Andre Sisco is going to get a second contract, or they better. Will Devin Lloyd get a second contract? I think the verdict is still out there. I think the jury is still deliberating that one. He's got two years to go before the team has to figure that out and cross that bridge. We'll see. But there's no doubt the Jaguars are drafting considerably better now than they did in the previous decade. Josh Allen is the first domino to fall. We will see when slash if that happens prior to March 5th. Look, the bottom line, he's going to get a long-term deal or they're going to put the tag on him by next, what is March 5th? Is that next Monday, next Tuesday? It's next Tuesday. Josh Allen will get a long-term deal or will get the franchise tag put on him by next Tuesday. We will have clarity on that. If he gets re-signed long-term, then maybe a franchise Calvin Ridley. If Josh Allen has to have the franchise tag put on him, Calvin Ridley hits free agency, I think Ridley's probably gone at that point. I don't think Ridley comes back here if he gets to the market. Um, now, could you have an agreement in place and sign it 10 minutes after the league calendar so you don't lose that second-round pick to Atlanta? I guess perhaps. But look around the league. T. Higgins with the franchise tag. Indianapolis has been very vocal this week in saying Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be a Colt next year, and it appears Mike Evans is close to re-signing in Tampa. You take those three wide receivers off the free agent board, Calvin Ridley is probably the best option at wide receiver for teams in free agency. So he is likely to get paid. I understand that he might not want to learn another playbook. I understand that he likes Jacksonville, and I get all that. And that all sounds great, and I hope that all leads to him re-signing here. But at the end of the day, you guys know as well as I do, man, dollars make sense. And if a team comes in and throws a ton of money at him, he's going to leave. That's the nature of the business in the National Football League. But again, going back to Josh Allen, when he's re-signed, it's not if, but when. Again, maybe it's by March 5th next week. Maybe it's later on and they have to put the tag on him. But it will be done. He will be signed long-term. He will become just the second first-round pick between 2011 and 2020 
to get a second contract here in Jacksonville. 641-1010 is your phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Again, Eric Edholm of NFL.com. He is about 30 minutes away. Coming up next, Frank Frangie, the voice of the Jaguars. You hear him every afternoon here on the Frangie Show. He's up in Indianapolis. He sat down with Trent Baalke and with Doug Peterson earlier in the week. Let's talk about those conversations, and let's get Frank's thoughts on what he believes is going to happen in free agency beginning 11 days from now. With Casey Dobson, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. It's a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Hey, yeah, I want to shoot, baby. Shoot. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. On the field workouts at the scouting combine began today. Of course, Trent Balky and Doug Peterson met the media earlier this week. And with all that going on, we have the knowledge that we are now 11 days away from NFL free agency. With all that being said, let's head up to Indianapolis. Frank Frangi, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You also get him every afternoon here on the Frangie Show on 1010XL. Frank, how we doing? A cold, Hack. I'm cold. A real feel this morning, 13 when I woke up. What was the real feel in Jacksonville, about 80? Wow, yeah. I think, I think we're in the 60s down here, Frank, so you're suffering yeah. a little bit. 13 when I woke up today. But other than that, we're good, Hack. It's another good combine. It gets crazier every year. You've been doing enough of these media days and the like, and they, they get bigger and bigger every year, so. Pretty crazy here. We're glad to be here. Frank, let's dive right in. You had one-on-one interviews with Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke. Let's begin with Doug Peterson. What did you take away from your conversation with the head coach? I, I think the same theme from both. Now, they had different different angles because they have different jobs. I think they feel like this team is close. Look, everybody's wounded, Hack, from the way it ended last year. We all know that. It ended the five out of six, five losses in six games. It cost them a playoff spot, hurt everybody, and it wounded everybody. And the first thing they had to do, and they both said this, Doug Moore, because he's the coach, let's look back and see what happened. What caused it? We all had a part in it. But let's let's. Uh, what do we fix that went wrong in those last six games or five out of six games? I think that was first. But how could the other thing, I think the overriding thing, when you get beyond that, and you got to get beyond that, it's over now. Everyone's undefeated now, is they think they've got a pretty good team. They've got a good nucleus. They're on back-to-back winning seasons. Last season, other than the, the late collapse, I think they felt like they were pretty good. So, you know, I think I think they kind of like where they are. I think they feel like they've got a good roster. I think they, there's some holes, and they got to fill in those holes. But for the most part, I think the overriding thing is let's figure out what we got to get done. We both feel like we got a pretty good roster. I, I think Doug Peterson's in a good place. Frustrated a little bit that they didn't finish, but I think he likes where that team is. I really do. As I've gotten further away from the year, Frank, I tend to agree with you. The 8-3 and three and the 1-5, and five, it was like two different seasons. I don't think they're as good as maybe eight and three. I don't think they're as bad as the one and five to end the year. To me, Frank, it probably lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it always does. It always does. When 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 that kind of stuff. When when you're that close, it, it, it always works out that way. You're probably never quite as good as your good days, and never quite as bad as your bad days. But when you look at the team, look, Hack, they've got they they've they've got coaching quarterback, which is what it takes in this in this NFL to win Super Bowls. They got coaching quarterback. They got a good receiver room. I hope they can keep Ridley. 
I, I like their linebackers. They're two out. They're two red edge guys had good years last year. They've got to improve the line of scrimmage, and I think they know that. And then they've got to seize wins and find a way to make those the last few plays at the end of the game. That's what Doug and I talked about a lot. Just we got to see. Doug said something really interesting to me. I don't know if you heard the interview or not. But toward the end, he said, "Listen, it's great to be eight and three. It's okay. That's good. But it's also okay to finish thirteen and four, which means you don't stop at eight and three. You grind even harder." And that's what young teams have to learn. You have to learn how to be the good team. See, last year, they didn't have to learn how to be the good. They, they weren't the good team until suddenly they were. This past season, they're the team with the first place schedule. They're the team with the target on their back. You have to learn how to be that team. The Texans are going to have to go through that next year. You got to learn how to be the team that everybody expects to win the thing. And I think the Jags went through that process, and hopefully they'll come out better for it. Frank Frangie here with us on Hacker After Dark. Frank, I want to get to Trent Balky in a moment. Final question regarding Doug Peterson, all of a sudden you snap your fingers now and he's the elder statesman in the division, right? I mean, Steichen and Ryans are going to be in year two. Callahan, year one there in Nashville with the Titans. What's your take on Doug? You've been around him every combine that he's been the coach. Does he still feel comfortable? Does he still feel motivated coming into year three? I don't think there's any question. I've gotten pretty close to Doug. We talk a lot during the season uh, offline. And, uh, yeah, I think he's very confident. I think he's trying to figure out the best way to do this. How do you, what's the best way to build it? But I think what he feels best about, listen, he's got Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor turned it over too many times last year. Trevor played hurt last year. All that affected him. You're a head coach and you got Trevor Lawrence. You know, don't, don't ever lose sight of the fact that how many head coaches wish they had Trevor Lawrence? Well, Andy Reid's probably okay with his guy. Zach Taylor's probably okay with his guy. John Harbaugh's probably okay with his guy. But you get the point. How many, I, I, I'd run out of guys pretty quick that are, are more okay with their guy than Trevor Lawrence. Forget the numbers. Trevor's, you, I think it's obvious what's there. So, you know, I think he likes his team. I think he's excited. I think he likes his new defensive staff hack. Ryan Nielsen's a ball coach, man. He's a tough-nosed, organized ball coach that's been there a little bit. So, uh, I think Doug Peterson likes where he is. I think he's as, he's as rejuvenated and as energetic as he's been since he got the job. Life of a general manager, Frank, like you said, it's maybe never as good or as bad. That probably applies to the GM position. Fans were furious with Balky a couple of years ago. All of a sudden, Balky was doing great work, and now Balky again is getting the ire of the fan base. You talked to Trent earlier this week. What did you take away from that conversation? I thought he was as transparent and relaxed as I've ever seen him, and I've known Trent a while. I don't know him as well as I know Doug, but I've known him a while. I think he is, was as relaxed. I think he gets it. I think he understands this is the year. This is the year that it's got to happen. I think he uh, he knows that. I think he, he, too, thinks they've got a pretty good team. He also knows they've got some things to do. Now, look, those guys know more than we do, Hack, about how close he is with Josh Allen. And if Josh Allen gets done, how close he's going to be with Calvin Ridley. And they know who they're going to go after in, in 11 days. So, so they know more than we do about the details. But he seemed relaxed. He understands. One thing he said to me, Hack, in the interview, he said, listen, Frank, I get it. He said, it's hard being a fan. Because you, you invest so much, you invest money, you invest emotion, you invest the excitement, and then the team fails you. And, it, and it, it's hard. He said, I get it. He said, when fans lash out at me because of decisions we made or didn't make or because of the record, I, I understand it. And, and I'm glad our, our – he said, we have a great fan base. They're passionate. I'm glad they're that way. So I think he gets it. That's where I'm going with this. I think, I think, I think Trent understands the deal. Uh, I think we all think, and I do think, this is the most important year for him. Maybe not as much, Doug, but – it's a critical year for Trent Balky. I think everybody agrees with that. Let's get into the player side of things. Josh Allen, we all know that March 5th is coming. It's either going to be a long-term extension 
or the franchise tag. Frank, where are you with that? What is your opinion? What happens with Josh Allen in the next five or six days? I think they're really trying to get it done. I can guess, Hack, and I can guess that they'll extend him, or I can guess that they won't get it done, so they'll have to use the tag. That'd be a wild guess. It's a 50-50 guess on my part, so I'm just guessing. I will tell you this. They are really locked in on getting that one done. Maybe it's because you just want to get that one done. Maybe because part of that is you want you might want to use that tag on Calvin. One way or another, they are really, really, really locked in on finding a way to get that thing done. So um, it would not surprise me if they get it done. But it, yeah, yeah, it's, you got a week to do it. You got you got till Monday, you know. So, but I, I would not be surprised if you ask me to guess. I'm going to guess the tag, only because it's not done yet. You know what I mean? So I and it's Thursday, but uh, Josh Allen's going to be on the team. And one other thing. This is going to work out well, whether he's tagged and then gets the deal he wants or whether he gets the deal he wants before he's tagged. I don't think it's going to be one of those deals. Well, Josh Allen plays here, but he's playing under the tag, but he's not happy. They're not happy. That's not how he's, that's not how Josh is wired. Josh has a, a big family, a lot of children. They, his wife, they love living here. They're building a home. He wants Jacksonville to be his forever home. He's been very clear about that. The team really likes him. They like who he is, not just as a player. I think that one's going to get done. Whether or not it gets done by Monday without having to use the tag, heck, that'd be a wild guess. A couple of more for the voice of the Jaguars, Frank Frangie. That brings us to Calvin Ridley. Frank, I guess it all is about Josh Allen and that domino effect. If you get Allen's deal done, potentially franchising Ridley. If you have to franchise Allen, Ridley likely hits the market. Frank, I've been pretty clear about this all week on my show. I'm of the opinion this might be a Jawan Taylor situation from last year. I just get the vibe that if they don't get Ridley done and he hits the market Monday, March 11th, I think he might be elsewhere next year. Maybe, but I will say this. He's another guy that wants to listen. This all hit Calvin hard, the gambling, the suspension. He didn't have, he couldn't find his way in Atlanta. It was more than just a suspension. That thing wasn't going well. He got here, and much like Evan Ingram, do you remember Evan Ingram Hack was, was almost going to give up football because the Giants thing just wasn't going very well? And then he kind of refound his football life here and, and couldn't wait to be back here. Well, I think Calvin did that place too. Really likes, really likes Trevor. They've really bonded. Really likes Zay Jones, who they've got. They may have to make a decision on. He's under contract, but, he, but we'll see. I hope he's back. Cal, Christian Kirk, who of course will be back. Evan Ingram, who's back. He really likes that group. He fits it well. They've certainly, they all work together in helping him learn the offense. He doesn't want to learn a new offense hack. I know, I know Calvin. He doesn't want to. He wants to do this. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to take a home, a home team discount. I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting he wants to be here. So, would it surprise anybody if they kind of agree to a deal? Um, they can't, they're not going to sign him to that deal before the league year starts because they don't want to give up the second round pick. But agree to a deal and sign him 10 minutes after the league year starts. I don't think it would surprise anybody. So, so I, I let me tell you this. My guess is Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley are going to be on the football team next year. How about that? You want to guess? I'm going to guess that somehow, some way, they're on the football team next year. I really I, believe. That. I hope. No, that's certainly something I'm hoping for. Final moments here with Frank Frangie. Of course, you get him every afternoon here on 1010XL. Frank, final player in house. I want to ask you about. Amazingly, I think the third most uh, popular free agent for the fan base is likely Ezra Cleveland, a guy that played, what, eight games here after the trade yeah. deadline. What do you do about Ezra Cleveland? I've been shocked talking to people around the league with Spot Track and the salary cap guys at PFF. They think there's going to be a decent market for Cleveland when he gets out there on March 11th. Well, they definitely want him back. He may be a guy that they can go a little higher because the cap came in higher than they thought. 
everyone thought the cap was going to come in at 244. It's coming in at 252, I think it is. So there's there's eight to ten million more dollars. Does that mean they now don't cut Cam Robinson? And I don't know if they were going to anyway. Is there more money? I can tell you this: they want Cleveland back. You always want your guys back. Heck, you know your guys. You know you know their strengths and weaknesses. See, when you when you go get a free agent that has not been on your team, it looks like the shiny new toy. But then you see the things that are not perfect about the free agent when he gets here. You're a guy you know. You know the good. You know the bad. So everybody wants to keep their guys back. And I'll go back. I'll circle back to the first thing I told you. They feel like they've got a good team. They feel like they're in their window. They feel like they're close. I can tell you, in a perfect world, they're going to do everything they can to get the key guys. Now, there's some guys maybe didn't play as well, and they're not going to bring back, uh, that they could have brought back. But I think for the most part, they're going to do everything within their power to bring back most of the guys. And they really want Ezra Cleveland back. He's very athletic. He's not the most physical left guard. But he's a guy they love. They love to use the horizontal part of the field. They love screen passes. They love wide receiver screens. And Ezra's about as good as it gets. He's as fast and athletic an interior lineman as you'll ever see. Now again, he's not. He's not a big physical brawler, knock you on your back guy. But he's a really athletic, get down the field and run guy. And they really love that in this offense. So I think they're going to try hard to bring him back. I really do. Frank, as we begin to wrap up, we've heard a lot of names that could be potential cap casualties prior to March 11th, from Brandon Sheriff to Rayshon Jenkins. I've heard Fadakasi as well. Not the specific names and single guys out, but do you believe there are some names that many Jaguar fans know that will be let go over the next week and a half? Yes. I think there's a chance Fadakasi's not back. I think there's a chance Rayshon's not back. I would have told you, Cam Robinson was on that list mid-season. I think mid-season, they're thinking probably was Anton Harrison's your left tackle next year and Walker Little's your right. Now I'm not sure. Now i got a hunch that Cam Robinson's going to be on the team. But I would be a little bit – but I, I, I do think Fadakasi could be a casualty. I don't know. That's my guess. And Rayshon Jenkins is a good player. The problem is Antonio Johnson might be a really good player. And if you've got a really good player that might be as good or better that you can plug in there – and you save a little money, that's what you do. Zay Jones, I've heard talked about, I really hope they bring him back, but you save four or five million if you, if you move on from him. So I hope they don't. So in answer to your question, yes. There's going to be some guys that could, they could have had back that won't come back. There are going to be some guys that fit into that category. But, but, I, but I, I don't think it's as many as I might have thought. Spadacossi is a guy to keep an eye on, Rayshon as well. Frank, final question. Everybody's talking about defensive back in round one. A lot of that goes to what Ryan Nielsen, the new D coordinator, said at his introductory press conference. I've seen Quinion Mitchell from Toledo mock to Jacksonville in like every mock draft, which to me almost assures that he's not coming here because if a guy right. is mocked to you in February, very rarely does right. that actually happen in April. But I go back to week 18. You were in Nashville calling the game. The Jaguar line of scrimmage got decimated. Interior O-line, interior D-line, they didn't have any answers for the Titans, who were a below-average football team. I need a big ugly in round one, Frank. I need some beef on either the interior O-line or the interior D-line. Where are you two months out from the draft? You hit the three spots, Hack. Interior O-line, interior D-line, cornerback. That's the three spots. Everybody knows those are the three positions, right? So I, I would prefer – an interior offensive lineman and an interior defensive lineman in free agency. I'd rather have an older guy there, particularly on the offensive side. I think we've had enough young linemen come through here. Fortner was young. Anton Harrison's young, very good, but young. I'd like to see a veteran guy or two in the trenches. And if you get one O lineman, a good one, Kevin Zeitler, someone like that. And if you wind up getting a, a good defensive lineman, I don't think they're going to pay Matazuke, but if they, you, you wind up getting a, 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 a really good O lineman, a really good D lineman in free agency, then I'm fine with drafting a cornerback. I can tell you 
those are the three spots. Trenches offense, trenches defense. And listen, you're in nickel 70% of the time. You can't have enough cornerbacks. And so cover guys, I'll say this. I'll say what cornerback, we all watched the Super Bowl hack. I thought everyone made the big deal of Mahomes and Kelsey because, of course. But I thought they won that game because those two damn cornerbacks were really good. I, I thought those two cornerbacks of the Chiefs were the unsung heroes. And I, and I thought they were really, really good. So I, uh, I th- in my mind, that's, I would not be surprised at all if that's where they go. I agree with you. Voice of the Jaguars, Frank Frangi, every afternoon here on 1010XL. Frank, safe travels home tomorrow. Appreciate you taking time out, bud. We'll do it again soon. All right, Hack. Thanks for having me on. Take care, buddy. There you go. Frank Frangi here with us on Hacker After Dark. He's very busy up there up in Indianapolis. Really appreciate him taking time out for us here on HAD. Eric Edholm, NFL.com. He is coming up next. By the way, somebody needs to help me out. Now, I know some of you listen to 1010XL literally all day, every day. You just rip the knob off the radio. I have gotten more text messages and tweets today regarding honey buns and something Prosser and Hicken were talking about like 11 hours ago. And I genuinely have no idea what people are referencing. So if you listen to the drill this morning and can fill me in on why people are correlating me and Honey Buns and Jeff Prosser and Dan Hicken, I'm thoroughly interested in that. Hit me up on on Twitter or X, I guess, at Ryan Green 1010XL or feel free to text in at 641-1010. Back up to Indianapolis, Eric Edholm, NFL.com. Let's talk Jags, let's talk the division, the AFC South, and let's look at this draft class, a draft class that's on the field. Beginning today, the D-linemen and the linebackers were today. It will continue on the field tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday with the NFL Scouting Combine. It is a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Let's bring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, the NFL offseason really picking up. All that being said, Eric Edholm. NFL.com does a terrific job covering not only the NFL, but the NFL draft. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Like you said, just getting ready for uh combine for agency, a lot going on for, uh, for the season. I haven't just ended, but here we are. Yeah, it never ends. It's the never ending cycle in the national football league. And Eric, the last time you and I spoke was about mid-season, and man, at that point, the Jaguars, things were great, right? Eight <laughs> yeah. and three, they were the number one seed uh, for a couple of hours there in week 12, and good grief, <laughs> losing five out of six, a lot of questions going into the offseason. Eric, what do you make of in totality of what the Jaguars did, or I guess did not do in 2023? Yeah, I mean, I think... There, there probably were some warning signs along the way. Obviously, you know, kind of the the early season setbacks. Uh, I was Kansas City, Houston, and then, you know, the 
the the post buy loss to to the Niners. Now look, no shame in losing to them, but I think it was the way it happened that was maybe more unsettling, especially um, you know not taking care of business in in home games in general, but but certainly that one as well. And and you just sort of felt like if if Trevor kept getting hit the way he was, and you know for a tough kid who hadn't really you know missed time in the NFL, for him to have to go into two or three games where we weren't sure if he was going to start. You know, that was, I think, a big part of it, his health and well-being. I think it kind of limited what the offense could do, what the passing game could do. And, you know, just sort of felt like there was still some meat on the bone with that Calvin Ridley connection. You know, defensively, they were takeaway dependent, you know, a little bit too much maybe. So even with some positive developments along the way, it certainly was trumped by the fact that, you know, they, they just didn't put it all together. And like you said, that, that, that cold December just obviously did him in. And, you know, maybe maybe we could have seen some of it coming, but not the way it unfolded, I don't think. Yeah, I believe they're only the sixth team since the year 2000 to begin 8-3 and three and to miss mm. the postseason. Yeah. It's not good. Eric, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. Where are you right now with Trevor going into year number four? Yeah, I mean, I, I had kind of a throwaway comment. I should have realized a little bit <laughs> better the other day when I wrote it that I said, you know, if you, you kind of step back and squint and just look at kind of the production and the numbers, I mean, there really isn't a whole lot separating Trevor Lawrence's numbers through three years than there were um, uh, Carson Wentz through three years. And I only mentioned him because, you know, Doug had, had both guys. And look, I – Obviously, the the positive step forward in year two was massive, right? It, it raised the bar uh, after a you know a loss, a total loss of a rookie season in a lot of ways for the franchise. And um, you know, Doug was able to, to to coax out some terrific play from from not just Trevor, but from the offense in general. And you know, last season definitely felt like a step back in some regards, but certainly the protection has to get better. I mean that 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 has to be part of any off season plan they construct. And I don't know how it gets done, but it's got to get done in one way or the other. And, you know, until that happens, I don't know that we can get the full picture. Um, I like Trevor. I think he's obviously got an amazing skill set. We, we, at his best, he can be very good, but the fumbles, the turnovers, that's really where the, the Wentz comparison came from. That was always a big bugaboo for him. He could make plays right prior to that injury, in 2017, we're talking about an MVP candidate. Now he's a guy who can barely get a job. So I'm not saying that's the road we're going down. I'm just saying, hey, if you take a closer look, there's there's a little bit ugly there too. But I I'm not ready to write him off at all. I think there's there's a lot of promise, and you know you you can't assume that one year is sort of indicative of a direction a guy is heading guys have setback seasons all the time look at Jalen Hurts look at other quarterbacks around the league you know Lamar last year you know prior to this past season we were wondering whether the Ravens would even put the full court press towards keeping them so these kind of things happen and there's absolutely going to be an opportunity especially in this division to uh to have a bounce back year Eric Edholm NFL.com here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Eric, one of the positives, I guess, amidst that losing of five of six at the end of the year was Trayvon Walker. It really looked like Trayvon Walker, yeah. with all those losses, started to find himself a little bit. What was your take on his year? Yeah, it was important 
for for them to see obviously in Hutchinson he's always going to get compared to him you know whether it's fair or not you know those are the two guys that were you know kind of bandied about atop that draft class and you know, it was it was an against the grain choice. You know, it was made with conviction, but it but it came with doubters, people, and especially with the way Aiden's played. So, seeing him kind of thrive down the stretch, and you know, he was always going to be somebody you had to kind of learn on the fly. You know, with his age and inexperience, and you know, having been shifted around a lot in college as far as what position he played. Now he's got a home, and assuming you know, again, we don't know if Josh is going to be able to you know, remain on the other side for the, the next several years. We'll see. But if they can make it work, and that has to be another priority, I would think, that really could be one of the great pass rushing duos. And we saw the the potential of it down the stretch. So, yeah, very important. I mean, anytime you have the number one pick in a draft, and uh, well, certainly in back-to-back years, but, you know, you have to see – something more than just a good player they have to they have to be a game changer and i would say without those that little hot stretch maybe we're coming into year three saying what is he exactly is he is he just a good solid all-around young player or is he somebody who's got electric pass rush ability and I don't know that I'm quite there yet, but, again, very promising, and and they had to see it. Yeah, Trayvon Walker ending with 10 sacks here in the 2023 season. Eric, obviously this offseason revolves around two guys for the Jaguars, Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley. There's not a chance to me they let Josh Allen get out of here. They're going to either sign him long-term or he's going to be franchised by March 5th. That does complicate things for Calvin Ridley, though, because if they franchise Allen – Ridley probably hits the market on the 11th. What is your thought on Calvin Ridley? And in your opinion, how vital is he for the Jaguars to bring back? Yeah, I mean, I if I had to place a higher value on one of the two right now, I would probably say Josh, but he's an interesting case. Obviously, he's, he's had an unusual NFL career in totality. I mean, superstar ability in Atlanta, um, two different absences for two very different reasons. Maybe they're connected, but still, I mean, you know, two sort of separate incidents, if you will, um, comes to Jacksonville in unusual circumstances. They make the trade and, and have to sort of sit and wait for him a little bit. And there was so much excitement build up. Like this, this is going to be his guy. They have some very good receivers, but he's the difference maker. And, you know, they just had too many missed connections, right? Obviously they, they produced some fireworks. There were times when you felt like, okay, this is starting to cook a little bit. But then he'd have a, a one catch or a two catch game or a, you know, an eight target four catch game, what have you. I mean, again, I'm just rallying off the top of my head. But, you know, you saw too many of those things, especially in those those big moments when they had to have it. And, you know, third downs, fourth downs, fourth quarter, what have you, red zone. Um, it just we didn't see the full picture of what that could be. Some of it was the limitations of the pass protection. Some of it was Trevor and the turnovers. Some of it was probably on Calvin and I don't know it's it's a tough call I think you have more information and more of a bedrock sort of base with with Allen a little more faith because you've seen it over a longer period of time and if they let him go then all of a sudden you add wide receiver to the list and say they probably need one more major weapon because I don't know that he's the only receiver who who from last year's group who may not be back You've covered the draft for years. You're very good at it, obviously, with NFL.com. Quickly, before we look at the 24 draft class, back to the 23 draft class, Anton Harrison. 
Um, I didn't know much about him when the Jaguars took him at 27 last year. I found out pretty quick the Jaguars might have gotten a really good one. I thought, Eric, that his rookie season was very, very solid. What was your impression of him? Yeah, I mean, watching him in college, there were some tapes that absolutely stood out where you said, all right, I, I, I can see why people are excited about him. And then there were others where you wondered, boy, is, is he going to be kind of a hot and cold player? Some weeks he's great, other weeks he's not. That's what held me back with him as a prospect. I think I had him 40-something overall, 41st, 3rd, whatever. Um, so I was maybe a little lower on him than other people. But I think you bring up a good point. I mean, I think the way he was kind of thrown in there, and, you know, obviously it's it's a tough assignment as a, as a rookie uh, pass blocker out there. But for him to start 17 games and, and you know, kind of do what he did, I think was was pretty impressive. Um, there's, there's certainly a – a higher ceiling for for what he did but yeah i mean i it ended up being a, a pretty pretty savvy uh pick as far as i'm concerned and i'm not afraid to admit when i uh if i'm not 100 percent on a guy you know then i'll look back and say there's where i miss so uh they got that one right they have to keep adding to that group inside and out i believe and you know in one off season you can you can you can change the 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 outlook of a of a group, especially the offensive line. I would say secondary, you know, same thing. But you know, one or two pieces can kind of bring the whole thing all together. Eric at home, final moments, NFL.com. Eric, obviously the twenty twenty four draft. We got the combine next week, senior bowl already in the rearview mirror. This thing's just rolling along. How would you assess the class as a whole? Strong, average, weak? What are your thoughts in totality? What what stands out immediately is the, the the strength of the quarterback position. I mean, obviously, it you know there, there may not be that that Trevor or Andrew Luck level sure thing, no questions asked, number one pick. But the fact that the Bears are being connected to multiple quarterbacks at one, and that both are probably better than the offerings at least pre-draft that we had a year ago. I know C.J. Stroud obviously turned in a, a tremendous rookie or one of the best rookie seasons ever by a quarterback. But, you know, if you were to sort of get the polling and talk to 10 or 15 executives what they thought of those guys coming in, I think it still would be higher this year with the top two. Plus, you have Jaden Daniels and you have J.J. McCarthy and Bo Nix, Michael Penix. I mean, that that right there is, I think, where you start with any draft. How strong is the quarterback class? For teams like the Jaguars that have that position, at least temporarily, I mean, for the time being taken care of, that's a good thing. The more quarterbacks that go before their first pick, the the better off they're probably going to be as far as who ends up in, in their in their laps. And it's definitely an offensive-leaning draft. We may not have a defensive player who's taken in the top, uh, you know, eight or 12 picks. It's hard to know right now, but – it wouldn't be shocking if we go the first seven or eight choices and it's all offense and round one's going to be heavy on offense receivers, tackles, quarterbacks, et cetera. I, I would say that there's, there's some pass rush depth. There's some secondary depth, but that by and large, uh, the strength of this class, other than say tight end and maybe running back, is definitely on the offensive side of the ball this year. So as for how it grades compared to other classes, I usually have a better idea on that going into like March and April. Take that sort of 20,000 foot view, but 
right now. I mean, it looks like a pretty good class, even if it is slanted offensively. You know, this could change, obviously, with free agency and what the Jaguars do, but you alluded to it earlier. I need some big uglies on the line of scrimmage, right? Either O-line or D-line. I need a 315-pounder in round one and maybe round two, again, depending on what the Jags do in free agency. At 17, but people down here love Jackson Powers Johnson, I think mainly because they're done with Luke Fortner. Uh, So that's a a double double whammy right there. But what's your thought on the Jags at 17, maybe your interior O-line, and then how is the depth and interior defensive line later on in the draft? Yeah, and there's some tackles too who may be projected inside in in the league. And again, I know the, you know the Jaguars are are big on length and things like that, and uh, youth obviously is is great too. So that may limit them somewhat. But I think there are definitely some some offensive tackles who could switch over to guard. Um, as far as the guard class, I mean there are guys who could probably play both positions. I don't know that there's a true guard who can who can crack round one, but unless you consider powers uh, uh jackson powers johnson is one or uh troy fatanu the left tackle from washington who i think most people are going to say belongs inside so it's interesting i mean i would say at center there are probably i'd have to there there may be more than that graham barton from duke and a couple other guys but you know there may only be three or four starting centers in this entire class true centers you know so Maybe it's a Zach Frazier early round two and from West Virginia, or, you know, Barton is a possibility. Does he beat their benchmarks? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a pretty good group of – I mean, it's a darn good group of offensive tackles, although there is a drop-off. I don't, I don't know that I'm quite as enamored with the, the later options. I don't know. The depth is amazing, but at the top it looks good. Guard could be solid, but more of your – day two options I would say later in day two especially and then center there are a couple real standouts um JPJ being one of them you know Frazier's a a big he's sort of this year's John Michael Schmitz a lot of people like him in the scouting community I'd be shocked if you get out of round two at this point uh Cedric Van Pran from Georgia just up the road I think is a you know good starting SEC uh center who could be a you know maybe a third round pick in this year's class or something like that so the options are there. It just depends on what positions they project them to be in the NFL and, and who's available when they when they come to pick. It's not glamorous, right? It's not going to sell a lot of season tickets, but after week 18 and what Tennessee did to Jacksonville on both lines of scrimmage, the Jaguars need to get tougher in the trenches. Yep. There's no question about that. Eric, leave us with this. I know the combine next week, you guys will be all over it at NFL.com. What can the good folks here in Jacksonville look forward to over there on the website? Yeah, I've got a little bit of a preview piece coming up, uh, projecting who might run the fastest 40-yard dash. Of course, usually receivers, corners, occasional running back. So uh, I'll have that one up, uh, I think, at some point, either by Friday or, or by Monday, certainly. And then, um, yeah, just kind of combing through the the GM and coach stuff on, on Tuesday and Wednesday and then the players as well. And, you know, whatever happens at night gets filtered into the stories too, right? The interesting uh, swapping of information that goes on there. So it's a busy week. It's a fun week. It's a long week, but we'll have it covered. Eric at home, NFL.com. Eric, I know you're busy, man. Thank you as always. We'll do it again soon. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks. 1010XL. 
Nine o'clock hour has arrived. Glad you're with us. Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. We'll take you up till 10 o'clock this evening as we do each and every night. Coming up in the nine o'clock hour towards the bottom of the nine o'clock hour, Tony Catalini from Pro Football Network will join us up at the Combine. We'll certainly look around the Combine as on-field workouts began earlier today and will continue through Sunday. I love the folks at Pro Football Network. That is one of the up-and-coming websites. They do a terrific job, and they're a big part of our guest lineup here on Hacker After Dark. So we'll have Tony on coming up in a little over a half an hour or so. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, Keith Smith of the Front Office Show and Spot Track talking a little NBA. You guys know I love the association, and in fact, most NBA teams now only have about 20 or so games remaining in the regular season. Postseason basketball, about six weeks away, NBA playoff basketball. And boy, the two teams in the state of Florida have gotten red hot. Both Orlando and Miami both appear comfortably in the playoffs. Now, Orlando might be in that play-in tournament, but they're going to be in. Miami right now, I think, is the five seed. They are playing outstanding basketball, so it appears the Heat and the Magic will both be in. How about what LeBron and the Lakers did last night? Coming back from 21 down, I know, in the fourth quarter to beat the Los Angeles Clippers. LeBron James continues to beat Father Time. I don't know what he and Tom Brady do, or in Brady's case, did, to just outlast Father Time. Awaken 180. Yeah, maybe. And by the way, speaking of Awaken 180, that's exactly right. I'm going to start endorsing Awaken 180 and start using their product. In fact, I have. Yeah, so the whole honey buns thing. No, 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 no. Prots are hicking. Funny, but not funny. I've actually dropped 20 LBs on Awaken 180, and we'll tell you all about that beginning on Monday. But no, LeBron James has been absolutely fantastic. He is the GOAT of this generation, and that was a GOAT performance last night, bringing the Lakers back from 21 down in the fourth quarter to knock off the Clippers. So we'll talk about all of that with Keith Smith of Spot Track and the front office show. He does a great job covering the NBA, and he is going to join us in less than 10 minutes. I will tell you this, tomorrow, a little bit of a change here on Hacker After Dark. We're moving up a little bit for a Friday night. Baloo is going to be in from 3 to 6 as the Frangie Show will be traveling back from Indianapolis. So you get Rick Baloo 3 to 6. Hacker After Dark will be with you from 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock tomorrow night. So 6 to 8 to close out the week here on Hacker After Dark. We'll certainly have some people up at the Combine still that we will be talking to and talking free agency again We are 11 days away from NFL free agency. We are five days away from the deadline for Josh Allen to either get a long-term deal or have the franchise tag applied. We know about Calvin Ridley and what that situation is going to look like. But keep in mind, Ezra Cleveland, Dewan Smoot, Trey Herndon, uh, Caleb on Chason, Brandon McManus, Jamal Agnew, Tyler Shatley, there's a bunch of free agents that the Jaguars are going to have to make decisions on in the next 10 or 11 days leading into that March 11th 
free agent period. With Casey Dobson, the hacker Ryan Green with you. More NFL in about 30 minutes, but right now, let's talk a little NBA. After the break, Keith Smith, a spot track and the front office show talking a little association on a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida. We're glad you're with us. It's Hacker After Dark. Well, believe it or not, the NBA regular season is starting to come down the home stretch. We are well inside of two months until NBA playoff basketball. Most teams have between 23 and 25 games remaining in their regular seasons, and the playoff race is really heating up, and that involves both teams here in the state of Florida. Let's talk about all of it with Keith Smith for Spot Track and the Front Office Show. And Keith is always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Keith, how we doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Hey, Keith, always appreciate the time. Let's dive right into Orlando. They've they've been hot. Obviously, a setback recently to Atlanta, but overall six games under or six games over 500 right now. But Keith, the way the Eastern Conference is, six games over 500 a few years ago would have put you in the sixth or seventh spot. Now Orlando still in that play-in scenario. I guess it goes to show you how much better the East has than maybe it was a few years back. Yeah, especially at the top uh, part of the conference. It's, they, they, they've got some weaker teams that, that are outside of the postseason picture and in below the play-in tournament. But the top of the conference is, is really, really solid now. So it's not as easy to just kind of cherry-pick wins the way it used to be. But for the Magic, this is a great step-forward season for them. We saw they were pretty competitive uh, fairly late in the last season. They, they they didn't have quite enough juice to get all the way there uh, and into to the play-in tournament. But this year, they're going to be a play-in tournament team at a minimum. But they're fighting to, to try to get into that top six and one of those assured playoff spots. As we're talking, they're, they're – they're three games behind the New York Knicks uh, for home court advantage in the Eastern Conference. That's probably not not going to be doable, but they're only a game and a half behind Philadelphia for the fifth seed uh, right there with the Heat, the Pacers in that 6-7-8 range. So they're, they're in really, really good shape. Keith, are they ahead of schedule? I mean, guys like you that cover the league every day, did you expect this from Orlando, or are they maybe a year ahead of what people thought? Now, I think they're about right where I thought they would be. Maybe fighting for a top six spot, maybe a little bit ahead. Uh, but I think some of that is the, the couple of the teams that were expected to be ahead of them, Atlanta, Chicago, Brooklyn, those teams have fallen way off this year. So, I, I, But I thought they'd be a playing tournament team this year at least. I thought they'd have an outside shot at making the playoffs. They last year, first third of the season, they were something like five and 20 or something like that. And, and they, they had so many injuries. They didn't have any healthy guards and they were a complete mess. 
then the final two thirds of the year, they played over 500 basketball. And then you could really see, all right, this team is starting to figure it out. They're starting to, you know, really kind of grow into to what we hoped they would be. And, and they've really taken advantage of that. The next step is they got to be a little bit better on the road, but that's generally where young teams are. They step forward. They're pretty good at home. And then eventually the road wins start coming. And that's how you become a team that, finishes somewhere you know 15 or so games above 500 in the like and you start putting yourself into you know the top six range and maybe even home court advantage range keith smith spot track and the front office show covering the nba with us here on 1010 xl in jacksonville keith admittedly i'm an orlando magic fan my uncle when i was six years old took me down to the orlando arena and i saw jeff turner and greg kite and anthony Bowie, and i just fell in love with the team, so I've suffered with them for about the last 35 or so years. But I got to be honest, man, maybe I have my magic blinders on here, but is there a better combo 22 years old or younger in the league than what the Magic have in Franz Wagner and Paolo Bancaro? Uh, maybe not. You know, I, I, I think uh, some would make the argument that you could go with maybe Victor Wembanyama and whoever. <laughs> because he, he's that he's that fun and that special but yeah i mean they are set up great right now you know the team's already playing much better as we covered and they're young they've still got a bunch of guys that are on rookie contracts which gives them a ton of cap flexibility so they're really in a spot where when you're building blocks come this quickly into being really good teams as or players rather uh, as ben Carroll and wagner have done now, all of a sudden, everything else becomes easier as far as building a roster, as far as having the ability to do it. Getting it right becomes that much harder because you have to nail it. You have to use your cap space and your remaining draft picks. And if you make trades, they all have to be good because these these windows where guys like Bancaro and Franz Wagner are not very expensive players they go very, very quickly. Those will be over here before we know. And then all of a sudden, those guys are going to be on their big contracts. And then it gets a little bit harder to fill out the roster. But as it stands today, Magic are in great shape. And those two guys are a huge part of it. And we'll hopefully have you on around playoff time. But I'm curious, you're an encyclopedia when it comes to the NBA. I love following you on social media. If it were you this offseason and you were in charge of Orlando, what position and or player would you target to take them from where they are now into being one of the top contenders in the East? The player part's a little harder because uh, it's just, it's not a good free agent class this summer. The, the best free agents are largely expected to resign where they are, but it is going to be a big time trade uh, market. You've got a bunch of these teams with the new second apron rules in the league that are they're going to be shedding some salary and they're going to be moving on from some players and the like and that's mm. going to turn into uh some of these teams like orlando that have the ability they may be able to go get a player or two but what position i'd be targeting i want to see them get another you know high level guard uh somebody who comes in someone who is a better player than markel Fultz, cole anthony those guys i like those guys plenty but I think your ceiling is somewhat capped if with the current guard rotation the Magic have, barring Jalen Suggs really ascending into an all-star type level. So they can go get a ball handler who can make it easier on Ben Caro and Wagner just to create offense. Because when things go sideways on the team, it's when the offense struggles. It's, it's when teams lock in on them and they have to 
do everything off the dribble and it's all contested shots and the like, that's when it gets a little hard for the Magic. So what I'd like to see happen is get somebody to make the game a little bit easier. But it's got again, you got to get it right because you can't have it just be anybody because it has to be somebody who makes the game easier on them without subtracting. You don't want it to be, hey, go stand over there in the corner while this guy dribbles the air out of the ball. So that that's that's what's facing Jeff Weltman in this front office is making sure they nail whoever that next acquisition is. Keith Smith of Spot Track and the front office show talking NBA. Keith in South Florida. Eric Spolster is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day for seasons like this. Miami's had injuries. Miami's had all sorts of problems. Yet here Miami is in late February, early March, playing their best basketball. They've won 8 out of 10, a huge win out west in Sacramento. Man, Eric Spolstra, he's an incredible, incredible coach. Yeah, he absolutely is. For my money, he's the best coach in the NBA. I don't don't know that it's even really particularly close. I think we've seen uh, guys like Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr. I I think all respect to what they've done as coaches, but I think they've slipped maybe just a little bit. And I think Eric Spolster, every year you see it, it's, it's like he kind of walks in and says, all right, what do we have tonight? And puts together a plan and off they go. And, and every year, you know, with, with Miami, you look at it and you say, oh, man, maybe this is the year. They're, they're down, you know, around the playing tournament and all that. And I, I've been very fond of saying they're, they're like the horror movie villain. You've got to cut the head off, separate it from the body, burn them both separately and bury them in opposite ends of the country. And maybe, maybe then they won't come back, but you know, they're, they're just that tough. You know, they don't go away and and he's a big driving force in that. Yeah. It'd be interesting here in the state to see Miami and Orlando play in one of those play in games. That is a likely scenario, at least the way it stands right now. Keith, the Eastern conference as a whole, when we get the playoff time, Will it be the Boston Celtics Invitational, or is somebody going to challenge them? It should be. At this point, they have proven they are head and shoulders above the remain the rest of the competition, not only in the East, but really in some respects in the league. They they, they have played that well. You know, they, they have a five-game lead over the next closest team. They're the best offensive team in the league. They're right up there on defense. They are in a spot where it is – just playing great and, and what's really been encouraging for Celtics fans is uh, they're not playing with their food they, they've had they, they, they had an extremely difficult schedule to start and they really came through that very very well and then it was all right the schedule's going to lighten up they're not going to take it as serious they have they, they, they just go out there and they, they you know maybe it's close for a half but in that second half they tend to blow these teams away. What they're doing, I don't know how many people realize, it's, it's historic. They, they've got a 10.3 scoring margin. And that's uh, you know, levels where it, it, if you do that, you're basically a massive title favorite. Now, all that said, nobody cares about any of it because it's going to be proven in the playoffs. We've, we've been here, done that with this team. They've been the number one seed. They've been a top seed. They've had home court advantage in, in Eastern Conference Finals uh, before, and they haven't gotten it done. They broke through once to the finals and didn't win a title. So everybody's basically going to say, yeah, that's all cute. But if you don't win a title, none of this really matters. Final moments, Keith Smith of Spot Track and the front office show. Keith out west, it was a jumbled mess, and it still is to an extent. You got the Timberwolves that are one of the biggest surprises. Obviously, Oklahoma City. Boy, they're what I hoped Orlando would be, but I guess Oklahoma City a year or two ahead of Orlando. They are fantastic out there. Of course, the world champions, the defending champs in Denver. Boy, the West is very, very jumbled out there at the top. 
Yeah, it is. And the, and the Clippers are right there, too. Now, <clears throat> they've stepped back a little bit. They've had a couple of their veteran guys miss some time. So we hope that's more of a, all right, let's get them through whatever's bothering them, and then they're ready to go. Because they're another team where I think at various points we've all believed in the Clippers, and then they get to the playoffs and their guys aren't healthy, and it doesn't matter. So we'll see. But, yeah, Minnesota's really good. Oklahoma City's really good. Denver. There's been a sense of Denver's just kind of, we just got to get through the regular season. They they now know what it takes to win a title. They're just kind of in a spot where get us through the regular season where we're not all that concerned about any of this. And then behind those guys, you've got a, just a mess with Phoenix, New Orleans, Sacramento, Dallas, all fighting uh, for the, the fifth through eighth spots. Those, those uh, final two playoff spots and a couple spots there. And then the Lakers and Warriors are going to be it looks like they're on a collision course to play that 9-10 uh, playing tournament game, which means one of them is going home after this unless they can catch, you know, Dallas or Sacramento or maybe, you know, New Orleans or Phoenix slips. So there's a lot to be decided. And I think if you're Minnesota and Oklahoma City, you're going to wake up uh, day one of the playoffs and say, all right, feel pretty good. We're, we're a top seed. And you're going to look and say, man, we got to deal with Luka or Kevin Durant or LeBron or Seth Curry, like, what, you know, what, what kind of reward is this for a great regular season? Who's more dangerous in the postseason, Golden State or the Lakers? Um, I, I'll say it's the Lakers just because they did it last year. We, we saw them really get into the playoffs, lock in, and, and become a different kind of team. I think the every other day at most nature of the playoffs really helps the Lakers to uh, at this point where, where they are as far as LeBron and AD, their age, and they, they, they're always picking up some kind of bumps and bruises. But, you know, it's hard to quit the, the Warriors as long as they have Stephen Curry because if, if you're Minnesota or Oklahoma City and you draw the Warriors in the first round, part of what's got to be going through your head is, all right, Curry can win a game or two by himself. They can have that other game where they make 20-something three-pointers and they just can't miss and we lose. And now all of a sudden, we're in a game seven where anything can happen. So it, it, it's really a difficult spot to be in if you're one of those top teams. But you kind of rely on, all right, this is what we did all year to get here. This is how we're going to finish it off. Keith, as we wrap up, we won't hold you to it. Hopefully we'll have you on about the start of the playoffs. But right now, late February, early March, it sounds like you're going with Boston in the East, who are you going with in the West if you had to choose right now? Denver. It, I, I just trust that they know what it takes to get it done when we get to the playoffs. And, and none of those teams have a real – I mean, nobody does, but none of these teams really have an answer for Nikola Jokic. You've seen Minnesota's made them work for it at times. Uh, you know, Maybe the Clippers can kind of say – I let Jokic get his. We're going to lock in on everybody else. But Denver knows, you know, what it takes. They defend. They have one of the best home court advantages in the league in their offense when they really need it to be. It's it's just beautiful basketball. So I think, you know, Celtics-Denver right now is would be my pick in the, in the finals, and we'll see where it goes from there. Keith, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about the front office show, what they can find, and where they can find it. Yeah, you can find uh, Trevor Lane and I host NBA front office show every day. Monday through Friday, we cover all the latest news and notes around the NBA. Uh, a lot of it's uh, transaction and roster focus and things like that. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have that going on. Uh, you can find the show on every any podcast player if you're choosing. Uh, just look for NBA Front Office Show. You can also find us 
on YouTube where, where we do a YouTube show. And every Friday we do something called Front Office Fridays, which is a live show. Uh, it's usually right around lunchtime on the East Coast. And we have, uh, you know, that's, that's the fan show. We let the fans kind of program that show with questions. And we get into a lot of different stuff and have a lot of fun on those Friday shows. You can catch Keith on the Front Office show also at Spot Track. Keith Smith. Great job, man. Know you're busy. Thank you, as always, for the time, and we'll do it again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL scouting combine going on up in Indianapolis. Obviously, a lot of questions to be answered. Doug Peterson and Trent Balky did some of that today when they met the media. And we are now inside of two weeks away from NFL free agency. With that, Tony Catalina does a terrific job for Pro Football Network as one of their main draft guys, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Tony, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, Tony, thank you for the time, as always. All right, the combine from a guy like you that eats and sleeps and breathes the draft. What do you get out of the NFL scouting combine every year? You know, for me, it's it's really about confirming what you knew, right? You shouldn't come out of the combine week with, like, a new perspective on something. I think you go in there, you try to check some boxes. If, if something really stands out to you, you might be able to go back and look at the film, look at the tape, and see if it kind of checked out with what you, you saw prior. But, you know, the combine is really about medicals trying to see what the guy is as a person. Cause I mean, you watch so much film and you talk to so many different people. You just want to get in front of them and uh, be able to kind of discuss and see who they are as people. And that's really more what it's about for me, honestly. You know, you said one of the key terms medicals, you know, you and I, and a lot of other people, quite frankly, over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, are going to watch 40 yard dashes and cone drills. And that's the TV side of the combine. That's the fun side for guys like you and I, but these teams are conducting these interviews and getting these medical checks done today and tomorrow. It's really the nuts and the bolts of the combine going on over the next 48 hours. Absolutely. You said it right there. I mean, these guys, they get so much access to the players, like the coaches, the, the general managers, the scouts, starting with the Shrine Bowl, the Senior Bowl. They, they get to talk to these kids. They get them in an atmosphere like the combine where they can get them up on a whiteboard, really test their knowledge, see who they are as people, what makes them tick, what their motivations are. So that's really what it's about. And you said it. it it's fun to watch the 40-yard dashes and some of the drills, and that's really the entertainment factor. But the real work is being done behind the scenes. Tony Catalina of Pro Football Network. All right, Tony, the Jaguars. We'll get to the 24 class in a moment. I want to rewind the clock back two years. Trayvon Walker showed up to Indianapolis two years ago and blew people away. He obviously blew Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke away with his measurables and the things that he did on the field. He was taken number one, an underwhelming first year certainly, and honestly an underwhelming second year up till about Thanksgiving. But what was lost to me, Tony, in the Jaguar collapse at the end of the year was, man, Trayvon Walker seemed to find himself towards the end of last season. Absolutely. And you see that a lot of times, right? I know people 
are used to or hope to see, you know, first round pick, first overall guys come in and make immediate impacts and then have it all click for them right out the gate. And, you know, a lot of the times that's really just not the case. It's a different style. It's, you know, football, you, you know how it is. It's, it's a brute game, but the NFL is far more complex than I think people give it, uh, you know, give it credit for sometimes. So even coming from the SEC or, you know, big time division one football, you get into the NFL, it's the speed's different. The communication's different. You know, all the things that go into the cerebral side of football where maybe a guy like Trayvon Walker or some of these skilled guys can just lean on their, on their talent. It, it becomes an X's and O's like uh, an IQ thing sometimes. So once that clicks and the game slows down, you start to see that in year two, possibly year three. And I think we're kind of seeing that here with Walker. Tony, it appears the arrow is trending up for Walker. The guy that was taken with him in round one two years ago, Devin Lloyd, I don't know. I think there's much more question there entering year three. What is your thought on Devin Lloyd moving forward? Yeah, I think I think you're right there on it. I mean, with these guys, like much like I said about Walker, it's about development. But um, you, you hope it happens quicker, right? You, you see what he had. Um, what do you have? 75 solo tackles, 127 total on the year. So a um, couple fumble recoveries. But you you want more. You want him to take another step forward. Uh, I know it's a linebacker position a lot of people look at it as like the running back of the defense but um, if you look at some of the successful teams that made it you know long and further into the NFL playoffs this year they all had good linebacking core so getting it right there I think deserves a little bit more credit than uh than it's probably getting it across the league right now but you know you hope that Lloyd could take another jump here because it'll really help that Jags defense. Tony Catalina of Pro Football Network here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Tony last year I'm curious what your thoughts were of Anton Harrison going into the draft and how you feel Anton Harrison performed in his rookie campaign? You know, it's, it's interesting when you're talking about, you know, um, a guy like Anton Harrison, man, you know, it's just, you look at the body of work and you, and you hope it can translate, right? Like, um, you know, a bigger guy, obviously, um, offensive lineman come out of Oklahoma. Like uh, you, you, it's, it's a challenge. And I think overall in the NFL, finding quality offensive line play is, is a is a challenge that the, the league finds. Um, I, I, I'm bullish on him. I think he has a, a good chance to really develop here. But um, like like many things, you, you hope for uh, year one success. But what you're looking for is to continue to progress. I mean, only 22 years old. I think he's a kid with a lot of a lot of good football ahead of him. And I think um, I think people should be encouraged. But, you know, it's always a wait and see thing. And, Tony, finally, before we get to the 24 draft class, it's a good thing Anton Harrison had a good rookie year because, man, Britton Strange, the second-round pick out of Penn State, and Tank Bigsby, the third-round pick out of Auburn, left a little bit to be desired, quite frankly. It's only one year, so you don't want to panic yet, but clearly Strange and Bigsby need to show a lot of growth coming into year two. Yeah, the Bigsby thing is a, is a little head-scratcher to me because I was a fan of his coming out, and, you know, you think I talked about, you know, the last couple of minutes, how jumping from college to the pros, it's, it's a challenge. And, you know, obviously it's harder, you know, said than done. But I think in the running back room, those are the guys that should be able to hit the ground running. You see a lot of guys, maybe late mid round picks who could come in and make an impact. But, um, you know, you, you hope to see a little bit more there. But like you said, it's in year one. You hope in year two that uh, they're able to kind of get over that home. Maybe the game slows down a little bit for them and they're able to develop because, you know, in the NFL, it's 
it's what have you done for me lately, right? And a guy who has a lot of, you know, encouragement and somebody you, you feel really good about it can quickly change the tide of opinion here in, in just a year or two. A couple of more for Tony Catalina of Pro Football Network. All right, Tony, let's get to this year's draft class. Looking at it from a mile up of view in totality, how would you assess it? Strong, average, below average? What are your thoughts? I think it's strong. I mean, if you look at the offensive line play, I think the the first tier of the tackles are really intriguing. I think there is some, you know, not as deep at the interior offensive line, but if you get one early, you can feel really good about that. Um, when I do my mocks and I kind of look at it, I've been looking at interior D line too with Johnny Newton, some of these guys um, that could really help the Jaguars, but. Um, I also look at the cornerback spot, like Nate Wiggins. I think the cornerback spot may be one of the deepest in all of the draft. I mean, if you get one of the first or the second rounds, and I project there could be like five, six, maybe seven of these guys that go, you know, within the first 40, 50 picks of, you're going to feel really good about a plug and play kind of guy. Um, I think of Nate Wiggins when I think of that, um, Kool-Aid, McKinstry, there's just, you know, his, his teammate, Teron Arnold. It's uh, there's just a lot of quality frontline talent. I will say, this isn't a great draft for having a lot of accumulated picks in the back end with the NILs and a lot of stuff, um, keeping kids in college, maybe longer than, than we've seen in the past. The back end isn't nearly as deep and it puts more of an onus to hit your first few picks, probably with a little more conviction this time around. Tony. And to that point, Trent Balky, the Jaguar general manager met the media earlier today and he did single out corner. That is a position they need to improve on. And I agree with you with Wiggins and the two kids from Alabama. Down here, a lot of mocks, too, that you look at have the name Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo, I believe. What do you know about the that young man, and do you like him? I love that kid. I think he, um, he has the ability to play inside and out. I mean, he's just one of those guys who has continued to rise. I think a lot of the people that were in the know who watched the film will probably or trying to keep him as a secret. Well, the secret's out. I think Quinion Mitchell, even though he's from Toledo, is not playing the best competition in the MAC conference. The guy is just flat out can play. And, you know, I think there's a real possibility he could end up being a top 15 pick, but you know, if he ends up anywhere in the mid twenties, I think somebody's going to get a steal. Along with the cornerback. I need some big uglies on the line of scrimmage, Tony. I go back to week 18 the Jaguars season on the line, and they got pushed all over the field, both offensively and defensively by the Tennessee Titans. Quickly to the interior offensive line. I have heard the name Jackson Powers Johnson down here in Jacksonville a million times in the last two months. People are done with Luke Fortner. I like Luke, but he struggled last year in a big way. What are your thoughts on Jackson Powers Johnson? And if the Jaguars don't go that route in round one, could there be guys in round two in the interior offensive line that could pique their interest? Absolutely. And that's kind of he was who I was thinking about when I say like the front end talent is a lot better than probably the depth is. Jackson Power Johnson, you know, coming out of Oregon, played well, had a good body of work, but then he exploded on the scene at the senior bowl. He was he was winning every one on one rep. He had every scout like impressed with his body of work, his build, his demeanor, how he approached it. So I he may be I talked about Quinion Mitchell as somebody who rose the boards quickly. Powers Johnson is another guy that is just captivated like the draft community. Somebody who is, um, you can play in, he's physical, he's nasty, he's smart, he does all the right things. Um, and so that's somebody who I don't expect to go in the back end of the first round. Um, I also look at another guy who could possibly be in the second round, but maybe later in the first. And I would say Graham Barton. 
out of Duke. Um, he's a guy who's a tackle, but probably transitions more inside um, at the next level. But he has the flex to do both. Um, he's much like Powers Johnson. He's a tough guy. You know, you, you want a dude who's can, who can bring an edge in the front. And I think he's another one of those cats that you feel really good about taking. But again, it's probably going to take your know, top 40 pick to get a couple of these guys. And then it kind of drops off a little bit after that. Same question on the other side of the ball, the interior defensive line. We hear the name Byron Murphy, an awful lot. What are your thoughts about the big men on the D-line this year? Yeah, I mean, Byron Murphy, he's getting crazy steam right now. I mean, amongst amongst the draft community, it's him, it's Johnny Newton. Um, this, the physicality of, of Byron Murphy is just – He's an outstanding fit in the middle for almost anybody, right? Like there's nothing sexy about a defensive tackle, but just to be able to, you know, to take up and eat up double teams and be able to free up space for your pass rushers, lanes for your linebackers, and hey, be able to have some pass rush ability and be able to get to the quarterback and play in the backfield. Um, Byron Murphy brings all of that. And, and you know what? And Johnny Newton's probably a better prospect than he is. It depends on who you ask. That's my opinion. But um, I, I think that if you're going to go that route, those are probably the two main guys you want to look at in the first round. But um, you can't really go wrong with either one of them, in my opinion. Final moments, Tony Catalina of Pro Football Network. Tony, as we begin to wrap up, a couple of local guys. Ricky Pearsall went to the Senior Bowl, the Florida Gator wide receiver, and blew up to the point where he left before the game was even played. His agent said, we're out of here after two really good days of practice. What do you make of Ricky Pearsall right now? I, I really like Ricky Pearsall. It's funny you bring him up because I watched his film again yesterday. I actually popped on the Georgia tape, and he ended up with six receptions for 99 yards, and I found myself frustrated watching it because – I felt like he had so much more on the field. If he could have got the ball to him a little sooner, if the quarterback could have saw him a little quicker, he's just a productive guy. He has really good hands, body control, um, plays with a lot of speed, a lot of fluidity. Uh, he's a kid that uh, he's going to get in somewhere. And I know he's not you know, surprising anybody anymore, but he's going to get in and he's going to end up making somebody's wide receiver room better from day one just because the, the ability is to move around you know, motion, use his speed, and he's a willing blocker too. I think you see a lot of times, even with the 49ers in the Super Bowl, a guy like, you know, Jawan Jennings, like guys that like to be physical who are willing to block and you can do all those things. It's just a valuable asset, and I think he brings all of that. And on the Florida State side of things, it appears two likely first-round picks, I guess, with Keon Coleman and Jared Verse. Do you believe both guys will go in round one? I do. I think Jared Verse is dropping a little bit, which is interesting. It may just be, um, it may be fatigue because I've had, I've seen him in the top 15, you know, pretty much, you know, throughout, but I think some people are probably getting fatigued. You know, some guys just drop because of conversation, whatever the case may be. And the other side of that, it may be just like the settling of his position where he actually stands within, you know, draft circles. So I do expect them to be in the first round. If he ends up in the 20s somewhere, somebody's going to get a steal and Keon Coleman, on the other side, is actually rising a little bit. I see him going a little higher than I officially, you know, initially thought he was going to. But I think those are two guys that I wouldn't consider locks, but I'd say damn near when it comes to uh, first round picks. Tony Catalina, Pro Football Network. Tony, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about Pro Football Network and what they can expect when they head on over to the website. Absolutely, Pro Football Network been a one-stop shop for all anything Cowboys, anything you know. Anything, all 32 teams, Jacksonville Jaguars, we got you covered. So if you head on over there, uh, something for everybody. Hey, Tony, real quick, I know you do work with Dallas as well. 
Uh, Derek Henry, one of our local guys. He's killed us for years, although he's a friend. We used to have him in studio all the time when he was in high school here in Northeast Florida. A lot of rumors potentially Dallas could be in play there if he hits the market. Is there anything to that? You know, it's it's a good fit, and I think the reason why there is a lot of rumors is because it makes a lot of sense. Ultimately, when you hear Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones talking about, you know, are they all in? What's that look like for them, right? Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones, their definition of all in might be different than, you know, what the Jaguars are thinking. But the fit makes sense. Now, can they make the money make sense? If, if Derrick Henry's got multiple offers on the table, I just don't see the Cowboys being the one that overbids, especially getting out from underneath Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard's $10 million franchise tag. So, yes, on the field, it makes a lot of sense money-wise. It's always a question with Dallas. Tony Catalina of Pro Football Network. Tony, really enjoyed the conversation, man. Thank you as always. We'll do it again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you to Tony Catalina of Pro Football Network for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Is yeah, the on-the-field workouts have begun at the NFL Scouting Combine. It was all about the defense earlier today. The defense and the offense take center stage tomorrow, and then it'll be all about the offense over the weekend and the Combine going on. But again, you look at that calendar, we are 11 days away from NFL free agency, and we are now what, five days away from a decision on Josh Allen by March the 5th. Will it be a long-term extension? Will it be the franchise tag we have till early next week to see? It's going to be one or the other. We know that. The question is, which one will it be? And if they're able to sign Allen long-term, does that mean they will then put the franchise tag on Calvin Ridley? All big questions that will be answered in a very short amount of time. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a crazy busy Thursday night edition here of Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us tonight. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Tony Catalina from Pro Football Network. Always appreciate Tony joining us. Thank you to Keith Smith. Love Keith Smith and the job he does covering the NBA for both Spot Track and the Front Office Show as the NBA playoffs now well inside of two months. In fact, most teams are approaching the 60-game mark of their regular season. Back in hour number one, thank you to Eric Edholm of NFL.com for talking about the draft class this upcoming year. And we also had Frank Frangie, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, of course, you get him every afternoon here on the Frangie Show. We will be back tomorrow night. To close out the week, now we're a little earlier tomorrow because of all the moving and shaking and the guys returning from Indianapolis. We will be 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock tomorrow night to wrap up the week on a Friday here on Hacker After Dark, and we do hope that you join us then. Casey Dobson was your producer tonight, and for Dylan Denmark, Casey, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green, and again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night to close out the week on a Friday beginning at 6 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville. (laughs) 